The Lord be with you. As I've already mentioned this past week, a young man who was a part of our congregation, Stephen Manessis, died. And I want to tell you a little bit about Stephen today, because today we hear the story of Nicodemus, who came to Jesus by night, alone and uncertain. And Stephen often came to Faith Lutheran, alone and uncertain. You'd see him sitting in that back corner there by the trash can. Or sometimes you wouldn't even see him sitting back there because he'd be lying down in the fellowship hall where no one would see him. And like Nicodemus, sometimes he'd also come to this church by night because Stephen didn't have a place to live. He never knew his biological parents. And as a child, he was shuffled between a dozen different foster agencies and foster homes. But somehow, in the midst of all that, he found his way here to Faith Lutheran Church. And you all welcomed him. He was an easy enough guy to like. He had an easy smile and a goofy laugh. He had a childlike delight in simple things and in Legos, in the new pair of sneakers that he found on the street and sampling every different type of soup that we had at our Wednesday suppers. And he was always happy to help. He rearranged these chairs in the sanctuary for us countless times. He would always break down the tables and the chairs after our suppers in the fellowship hall. For months, he helped the ladies fold bulletins and faith talks that we mailed to people. And he was bright. He loved to read, especially Harry Potter. He could quote scripture and he could quote song lyrics and he could apply them to life. And because he was so likable, so many of you tried to rescue him. You took him under your wing. You took him out for lunch. You invited him to outings. Some of you gave him jobs, one-time gigs, or even opportunities for a full-time position. Some of you even let let him stay with you. And it would all go well for a day or a few, and then... Something would happen. He'd get rankled by a rule that he didn't understand, or he'd get upset at a perceived slight, and and one day he just wouldn't show up to the job or to the home where he was staying, or he would show up, but he'd show up high and out of his mind. Many, many times I tried to get him into rehab. Most days he would say no. Some days he would say yes and then bail at the last minute. And on a couple occasions, he actually went to rehab. But after a week or two, he'd just walk out the front doors and wouldn't go back. And every time he'd throw away an opportunity that we gave him, I would be frustrated and confused. And when Nicodemus is frustrated and confused by what Jesus is trying to tell him, Jesus tries to make it plain for Nicodemus by saying to Nicodemus the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him may not die but have eternal life. And then Jesus continues to John 3.17, which isn't as well known. For God did not send the Son to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. 
But saved from what? Saved from not having a place to sleep? Saved from not having a job? Saved from drugs? Saved from death? What we need to understand is that most of the things that we think we need to be saved of are just the symptoms and aren't the source of what is the true cause of our suffering. And that is true even of death. It is just the symptom and not the source. After Jesus has said that God did not send him into this world to condemn the world, Jesus says that those who do not believe in him are condemned already. Not that God will condemn them on some future day of judgment, but right now, in this life, they are condemned, not by God, but by themselves. And Jesus says, the judgment for their condemnation is this, that the light has come into the world and the people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. And so they shun the light and hide in the darkness so that their deeds won't be seen. Put simply, Jesus says, the condemnation that comes when people don't believe in him is that we are afraid and we are ashamed to be seen. And so we hide. We hide in darkness. And it wasn't until I got to know Stephen that I really understood why that, why that shame, why that, why that fear, why that hiding, why that is the thing from which Jesus has come to save us. Because like I said, Stephen would come and he would sit in the back or in the fellowship hall and during the week he would come to church also. And I always told him, you're welcome to come, chat with me, sit with me, let's talk. Or if you don't want to talk to me and you just want to sit, we have a beautiful bench and a picnic table and the in the courtyard. You're always welcome to sit there. But inevitably, I would find him hiding in the nooks and crannies and corners of our campus. And I'd say, hey, come, come. Like, it's really weird. You know, people get uncomfortable seeing you hiding here. They think there's something you're trying to hide from. Come, sit in the light. Sit on the, the table in our courtyard. Come sit with me in my office. And if he were sober, Stephen would say, okay, But if he wasn't sober, he would tell me that he was hiding. And then he'd tell me what he was hiding from. When Stephen would use drugs, he would hear voices. Two voices in particular, that of a young man and a young woman. And wherever he went, those voices would follow him. And they would mock him. They would insult him and they would belittle him. And they would accuse him of terrible crimes which he had never committed. And he would hear these voices and it would break his spirit and it would cause him to weep. And when he wept, he would hear those two voices laughing at him. Laughing at him in his shame, in his despair. That is what Stephen was hiding from. And that fear that he felt at being seen for who he was. It was a fear that pervaded his whole life. I came to understand that even when he was sober, he may not hear those voices, but he believed them. 
He believed them because he had been passed around so many times from family to family, from home to home, that he had come to believe that he would always be let down. He would always be let go. And so when someone invited him into the light of a job, he was convinced he would be let go sooner or later. They were just looking for a reason to let him go. And so he figured before they found one, he would give them one. And he would leave himself to go walk into the darkness. And when someone invited him into the light of their home, he knew that eventually they'd let him down. And so he figured he knew a place where he never felt like he let anyone down. And that place was the darkness of drugs. And so he'd choose that place. And when he was in rehab, in the light of an institution designed to help him get clean, he on some level believed he never would, that he wasn't good enough to get off drugs, to get his life in order. And so before they gave up on him, he would give up on them. And he'd walk out the door. We hide out of our fear of being seen, out of our shame of being seen for who we think we are and what we think we've done. And that fear which causes us to hide, it keeps us from life. It keeps us from the people who can help us, keeps us from the people who can give us life. Most of all, it keeps us from God, who is the source of all life. Stephen was afraid that he would be rejected, and so he would reject first. And here's the thing. Stephen was right. He knew he was right because he would push to see if he would get rejected, and he would, because here's the fact of the matter. When my daughter, who's 18 months old, has a tantrum, a meltdown, when she freaks out, I can grab her and I can hold her, and I will hold her until it passes. Nothing will cause me to let go of her, but she is 25 pounds. She is, I am her legal guardian. I have every right to hold her as long as I want to, and I know the most damage that she can do to me, and I know I can survive it. And so I will hold her until the terror passes, until the fear is gone, and she knows she is loved, and she is calm, and I can set her down. But when a full-grown man, out of his mind on drugs, terrified by demons, rages, and flails. There comes a point where every human being has to say, I can't hold you anymore because if I do, I don't know what will happen. It will destroy me. It will destroy my livelihood. It will destroy my family. I don't know what you can do in your depths of despair. And I will tell you, it was terrifying seeing Stephen Hyde. It was terrifying, not so much because I was afraid for myself. He never threatened me, even though many times I had to ask him to leave. No, what was terrifying was seeing how deep that despair went. I would see him take off on his bicycle, riding at full speed, shouting into the wind, nobody loves me. 
as he just turned down an opportunity to stay at someone's home. We are convinced our sin is so great it will destroy us. It will destroy everyone around us, that no one would dare suffer. And so we hide in the darkness. And when it comes to people, maybe we're right. But not when it comes to God. Jesus today in John chapter 3 references a story from the book of Numbers. When the Hebrew people have been wandering in the wilderness for years. And they're getting bored and they're getting upset. They're getting tired of eating the same old food every day. And they start to complain to God, why did you, why did you bring us out of slavery? Maybe it was back better in Egypt. And so God says, yeah, that's what you want. Well, how about instead of this manna I feed you with every day, I give you poisonous snakes. How about that? Is that better for you all? You want, you want some change? And the people start to die because they're being bitten by these poisonous snakes. And they repent. They say, God, if we were wrong, we're sorry. No, this isn't what we want. What you have given us is good after all. And so God hears their prayer and they say, God, will you take these snakes from us? God says, no, I won't take the snakes from you. But here is what I'll do. If you make the image of a snake and you hold it up on a pole for all to see, well, when you look at that snake, when you look at the consequences of your sin that have bitten you, The poison of that snake won't destroy you. God is saying, if you can lift up to the light your sin and the consequences that you have experienced because of it, the consequences of the sin won't kill you. It won't end you. They'll still be there. They'll still hurt. But it won't be the end of the story. And in Jesus, God takes that same concept even farther because Jesus says, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Because at the end of the day, every one of us needs a father, a mother, a parent, a heavenly God who can hold us close in our worst moments, who is not afraid to be destroyed by our sins. In Jesus, God gives us that. Jesus is destroyed by our sin. But he doesn't care. Because he cares more about us. Jesus is the promise that in God, we have a heavenly Father who will hold us in our rage and in our tantrums as we kick and scream and flail. Jesus is the promise that in God we have a Heavenly Father who will hold us even when we scream in the night, when we are high on drugs, when the demons torment us, we have a God who will hold us. Jesus is the promise that in God we have a Heavenly Father who even when we nail Him to the cross, even when we kill Him, He will hold us until we know we are loved. And we can be at peace. Jesus calls us to be born again. To be born from above. To be born not of flesh and blood, but to be born of spirit. We are born again. We are born from above when we know that we are children of our Heavenly Father. 
when we believe what God shows us in Jesus, that we have a Father who will never let us go. That is how Jesus saves us. About a year ago, with some help, Stephen managed to get into Chico's pallet shelter. For the first time in his life, he had a a home all to his own. Not a very big home, but big enough. With a bed, I got him a Nintendo and a TV. He could put his Legos and his books. And for a few months, it was good. And then one day, he got caught climbing over the fence trying to sneak drugs in. And so he got kicked out, right? There are consequences to our sin. And it was one of the lowest points I've ever seen Stephen in his life. He went back the next day, even though they told him he had to stay away for 36 hours. He went back the next morning, demanded to be let in. He said, this was an injustice. So they said, well, now you get to be kicked out for a month. Consequences to his sin. But then I saw Stephen do something I had never seen him do before. He owned up to his sin. He said, you know what? Maybe the pallet shelter is trying to do a good thing. Maybe they have the rules for a reason. Maybe I broke them. Maybe I was wrong. And he said to me, do you think they would let me back if I fessed up to it? And I said, you can only try. And so he did. He went back and he apologized and he did all the steps they asked him to do. And on his own, he got back into that pallet shelter He saw the serpent of his sin on the bronze pole and he saw that even though he suffered the consequences of his sin, it didn't destroy him, that he could still live. And for the fast five, six months, he was living in there. And it was in that tiny home where this past Wednesday night, the staff of the pallet shelter found his body. I don't know why he died, both on a a physical level, right? The coroner hasn't released a report yet. And I don't know why he died on a spiritual level, what God makes of all this. But here's what I know. Nicodemus first came to Jesus by night. And maybe he didn't get Jesus at first. But by the end of John's Gospel, when Nicodemus has seen Jesus crucified, when he has seen that Jesus has given his life so the whole world might know that God will never let them go, then Nicodemus, in the final hours of the day, publicly brings oil and perfume to anoint Jesus' body so that all the world can see. And I know this, That one week ago, Stephen came to worship. He didn't sit in the fellowship hall. He sat back there by those windows. When we sang, Jesus loves me, this I know, he sang it with us. And after worship, he didn't hang out at the back. He came to the very front, and he sat for my class on how to preach a sermon. He didn't just sit there. When I asked questions, he jumped in to answer them, to have a conversation. What I know is, in that moment, 
Stephen wasn't afraid to be in the light. Stephen wasn't afraid to be seen. Stephen knew that he had a place where he belonged, in the house of his father. On Saturday, March 18th at 11 a.m., we'll have a funeral for Stephen. I've gotten so many phone calls and emails from social workers, from foster home workers who've cared for Stephen throughout his life, who've told me they loved him and they tried so hard to let him know that he was loved and he just couldn't feel it. We will come and we will celebrate his life. But most of all, we will celebrate that he has a Savior. A Savior who holds him, holds him until all his pain and doubt is gone until he knows that he is loved by a heavenly Father. And when he believes that, he will have life eternal. Siblings in Christ, we exist for one reason, and one reason alone as a church. To convince people of that love. To bring them to the belief in Jesus that gives eternal life. May we believe it ourselves and share it with the world. Amen.